1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? It's been four years since Michael Myers vanished without a trace. Hello. feels different. He's more dangerous. and welcome to Is It Yours. We are back for our third episode in a row. We, we knew we were going to try and do it. We weren't sure if we could, but we are doing it. So I am here with Trentus Magnus to look at the third installment in the most recent Halloween trilogy. Uh, thanks for coming on, Trent. Well, uh, thank you for having me. And uh, wow, what a doozy of a way to end this little mini series that you have going on, huh? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start the conversation off really, really simple, and who knows where we're gonna run with this thing. But I'm gonna say to you, Halloween ends. What's up with that? Um, honestly, uh, I think uh, Professor Allen probably said it best. With endings are hard, you know, <laughs> uh, they're not easy to do. And honestly, um, without giving too much away right now. For me, it's always been all about the journey, you know, uh, the destination in, in the Halloween series. The destination was never really the point. So uh, hopefully that kind of puts a positive spin on what we are about to say. 
I'm not going to disagree with you that it's the journey, not the destination. And I've, I've discovered that. I've talked about it recently with uh, the TV show Lost, which I was really disappointed with the ending of. Uh, and it kind of soured the series for me in hindsight. Until yeah. during the pandemic, I did a rewatch of it. And knowing how it ended, it became about the journey. And I found it much more enjoyable than, you know, the first time around where I was kind of trying to predict how it was going to end or figure out how it was going to end. I was able to just enjoy the journey. So I've come to that way of thinking that, you know, the journey is what's important. But I think this particular journey took kind of a detour. And I didn't really <laughs> care for the detour it took. I, I, you know, I walked away saying to myself, you know, based on the information that I have, and I think that you and I have discussed, uh, that they originally planned to make two movies and then they decided well everything has to be a trilogy nowadays uh and they you know they dragged it out to three so i kind of feel like if you put two, if you put halloween kills and halloween ends together and you do some real yeah I, I can't even say you could do editing and make it into one movie but i think they had to drag it out and they put a lot of a lot of fat on the bones that didn't need to be there well i it was either uh, Danny McBride or David Gordon Green. It was one of the two who outright admitted that um, they had an idea uh, for what Halloween Ends was going to be. You know, they they had a plan and everything was, you know, looking basically good with that. And then at the 11th hour, they just said, you know what? We're actually going to go a different direction with uh, Halloween Ends. We're going to take that. We're going to go someplace else other than what we originally planned and um honestly i mean that either works for you or it doesn't but <clears throat> um i would uh, uh in the years to come i can see myself defending halloween ends from the same kind of basic standpoint that i defend the dark knight rises in that this presents a definitive unambiguous conclusion to a series and a character that heretofore had been assumed to be kind of immortal and for that reason if nothing else like if nothing else good comes out of this at least there's that you know that there is a uh, we can finally put a period on, on on the other end of that statement and um honestly what i what i what i've been learning over the last year or so is that yes i am a halloween fan but the bar for me is actually set surprisingly low when it comes to Halloween movies, and I hope that gives it weight when I say that the bad Halloween movie is Halloween 5. <laughs> That's the one I just cannot abide. All the other ones, I can generally find some kind of positive aspect to it, you know? So, uh, anyway, make whatever you want of that. <clears throat> well, did any... You know, I, I haven't seen all the sequels, as we've talked about in the past, but... I know you have. Uh, did any of them have what would be considered a definitive ending when you walked away? I'm sorry, do what now? Did any other, before this one, did any of them have a definitive ending? Did any of them end off with Michael is dead, that's the end of the series, until they figure out a way to bring him back? Um, um, from 1981, that has a pretty definitive ending. Um let me think. Uh, Halloween H two O. That's got uh, now. It, it was promptly undone in the next movie, but um, Halloween H two O in and of itself has a definitive ending. And then Rob Zombie's Halloween two. Again, there is a very definitive ending to that. And so, um, all evidence to the contrary, though, it's a bit more of a rarity in this franchise. Usually, the endings that you get are more along the lines of Halloween twenty eighteen, where it's wide open to, you know, if you want Michael Myers to be gone forever, he can be, but that's really not the only way of looking at it, you know? So, right. that without getting too specific or too spoilery. Yeah, well, I certainly think, you know, they, they will eventually revive this franchise, but I think, you know, this, as you said, this has a definitive ending so that uh, when they revive it, it'll be a remake or it'll be a reimagining of some sort. I think the only way you could 
continue with this one after the ending. And, you know, spoilers to anybody who hasn't seen it yet. You may want to watch it before you listen to us because we are going to, you know, we're not going to go into a detailed plot synopsis, but we are going to talk about things that are going to spoil it if you haven't seen it yet. So I think if you wanted to come up with a way of, like, continuing the story from here, you'd have to play with that supernatural aspect of it that, you know, he wasn't a regular person, and you'd have somehow his spirit is inhabiting a new body somehow, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I guess you could do that if you wanted to, but it's, you know... I, I, I don't I think, think anyone's got the, the taste for that, but honestly. No, I, I agree. But I think, you know, they're, they're better off just kind of going, like I said, reimagining or... or rebooting or doing something like that but i can't imagine this is the last time we'll ever see uh, a, a movie with michael myers as the uh, antagonist oh certainly not certainly not and you know getting into the movie um you know one of the things that uh, sort of jumped out at me when i was watching the opening credits um the opening credits are actually done in the same basic font as the opening credits for halloween 3 season of the witch Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, well, now that's kind of interesting. So I just, a lark, I just kind of looked back at the opening credits for Halloween 2018, which uses the same font as Halloween 1978. And then Halloween Kills, which uses uh, in the opening credits the same font as Halloween 2 from 1981. And it seems that there's a creative intent behind that that's not just done for meaningless nostalgia and sort of, um, fan baiting. Uh, obviously, Halloween 2018 has a lot of callbacks to the original. Halloween Kills has a lot of callbacks to Halloween. On that basis, I kind of wondered, well, what callbacks could Halloween Ends possibly have to Season of the Witch? Because that's not even a Michael Myers movie, right? Right. And... I, honestly, I think what it really comes down to is um, I know that uh, there's a there's a type of fan of any kind of genre sort of media that's sick and tired of hearing the expression subversion of expectations. Ooh, but that I use that really is a lot. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, it's just it's sort of become kind of like a dirty word in our community. I mean, I'm not sure how much of that you've really picked up on, but there's a. There's a type of fan of anything, whether it's movies, comics, just whatever. The minute you say subverting expectations, it's like you can just hear their teeth grinding like they are so done with that. But that really is what Halloween Ends does in the same way that Season of the Witch did, intentionally or unintentionally, where you could argue that Michael Myers is not really the focal point of this movie. He's he's an interloper. He is a participant he is a um, a key ingredient of this movie, but I wouldn't go so far as to say that this is his movie in the way that the previous ones have been. And so on that basis, it just kind of made me think, you know what, maybe that's the callback to Halloween 3 right there, where in a sense people are moving on, but they're not. And in a sense Michael Myers is around, but he's not. You know, and... I've seen people, you know, rant, gnash their teeth and howl at the moon over that. But, uh, you know, Paul, I just kind of want to throw this back to you. We have so many movies where you've got Michael Myers. He's running around and stabbing people and all that stuff. In this movie, uh, Halloween Ends, it makes a little bit more of an effort to get into character a bit and shine the spotlight perhaps on other characters and just kind of go in a different direction. I get the idea that didn't that was not the uh, successful creative direction for your participation but what were your overall thoughts on that well i am not opposed to uh subverting expectations and i think i've said that a little bit with the prior reviews that we've had on this but in this particular instance, I kind of wanted them to go a little bit more to my expectations. I wanted them to give me a little bit more of the Laurie Strode-Michael showdown. Uh, they saved that almost as an afterthought in the movie, you know, at the last, whatever, 10 to 15 minutes of the movie. Uh, and then the Michael we mm-hmm. saw, I think you can explain it away story-wise, but the Michael we saw was a diminished Michael. Uh, you know, Corey beat him for the mask. Uh <laughs> 
in, in, a, in a fight. Uh, and Lori was able to like physically hold her own against him. So, it, you know, and you, you, like I said, you could explain it story wise because it's supposed to be that I guess four years have gone by. Uh, and he's living down in a sewer. Who knows what he's eating, you know, how he's even surviving. Uh, so you could kind of maybe kind of accept a diminished physical capacity for him. But I really wanted a build up to the showdown. And then that's, I mean, that's probably my biggest disappointment in it, that, that we didn't get the, the showdown I was hoping for. Uh, and then the other disappointment for me is the character of Corey and what they did with him. Because the movie opened up, you know, you had that whole whole big thing with him uh, unintentionally killing that young boy. And uh, I thought that was okay. You know, it was creepy. There was a lot of, you know, it, it had a lot of buildup. Then you saw him, you know, having to deal with uh, the views of people, you know, the teenagers bullying him, the high school students, uh, the mother of the child coming at him, you know, and... and, and berating him even you know years after it occurred so there was there was i think there was room there for some real characterization but instead we just turned him into well you know what he's got the bloodlust now and he's going to be it's going to be uh cory and his pet michael uh so like i i really didn't care for where that went Well, there's this moment between uh, Michael and Corey down in the sewer where they lock eyes with each other. And Michael's in the process of killing him. And then they lock eyes with each other. And Michael makes the affirmative decision to let him go. And I've seen, you know, fan theories and fan conjecture, like, that's where the seed got planted. Like, up to then, he was a guy who'd had some bad luck. You know, this really horrible thing happened. And he was involved in it, but it wasn't really his fault. There really was no there was no real malice that was going on there. But nevertheless, he's been in his own weird kind of way, sort of cursed by the town. And then Michael kind of put the finishing touches on that, where, like, however literally you want to take this, kind of passing the evil on to him. And the idea of that, you know. I mean, I've never really liked the idea of getting too specific or too didactic about what's going on with uh, Michael. There are many reasons for that. But the idea of somebody who's just so bad that simply to be around him for too long, you risk the badness rubbing off on you. I kind of like the idea of that. And I at least wanted to you know, float that out there. Does that seem in the just in the least <laughs> compelling to you like this is a possible explanation uh, it 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 sits as a as an explanation but it doesn't sit as a satisfying explanation for me uh i just didn't like that turn of the movie i didn't think we needed michael's clone or or you know i i preferred i preferred cory to be a sympathetic character rather than what they did to him mm -hmm. uh you know, I, I, w I would have liked to, you know, even even if you had somehow, uh, you know, the teens that were bullying him and then Michael somehow, I, I don't even get the whole Michael helped him thing, you know, oh, I'll get the doctor with you, that whole thing. It really just didn't feel organic to me. But if somehow like Corey, you know, found himself in the I have a pet Michael mode, uh and, you know, eventually just saw, wait a minute, what the hell is going on? And turned on him somehow and then helped Laurie or, or you know, helped Allison. I, I don't know. Maybe that could have done something to re redeem him somehow. Uh, but I just, I, I don't know. The, the character turn didn't feel organic to me. It just didn't feel like it moved into that mode very well. And like I said, the the, oh, the yeah, whole okay, and that's... the whole diminished Michael thing bothered me. I like Michael as a real force of nature, and I want him to seem overwhelming. And when Laurie does finally beat him, I want it to be that she overcame all odds, not that she just pinned him down. And you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it didn't. The fight felt anticlimactic. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's fair enough. But um, and don't mistake me for like a zoologist or anything. But you know, you do like there are like predator animals that you know when they get basically when they get too old, they'll just go off into uh, the woods and just sort of mark time and pretty much that's it. You know, I mean, they'll eat if they if if, if food sort of comes in their direction, then they'll eat. But you know, they pretty much go for the low the low-hanging fruit and you know what we see with michael hiding in the sewer like that the way i interpreted it is he's basically he knows that you know his uh his days of being you know top dog predator those days are over and he's basically just waiting to die and the uh you look back on you know just what he's been through in the last uh two movies where He's been beaten, shot, stabbed, run over by cars. Um, he's he's been set on fire. You know, this is a guy who's been through a lot. And after the events of Halloween Kills, I I can I do buy into the idea that this is a guy who. I mean, let, and let's face it, at this point, he's probably pushing eighty or something like that. Like his best days really are behind him now. And so again, I. You know, when people say that, you know, they want to see Michael Myers, he's large and in charge, he's a force of nature, he is the gold standard of not to be messed with, and I agree with all of that, I understand all of that. I'm not even saying that they're wrong. If that's, you know, the deal breaker for you in this movie, then hey, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, try to change your mind or, or anything like that. I'm just going to say that, you know, the creative direction that they took him in in this movie, I wouldn't want to see this in every one of them. In fact, I don't really care to see it again, ever. But for this movie, it does work for me. You know, um, it adds up. And uh, there now, I, just so I, I don't come across like a gusher, like the, like these movies can do no wrong for me. I will offer a, a, a criticism from the standpoint that in Halloween 2018, Doctor Sartain steals Michael's mask, and Halloween Kills. Karen steals Michael's mask. And in Halloween Ends, Corey busts into Michael's sewer, overpowers him, and steals his mask. Now, I can kind of get my head around the idea of how exactly it was that Corey managed to overpower him. That part by itself doesn't bother me. But yet again, you have a character taking his mask, and it just it gets to a point where it's like it's just emasculating for the character, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm just kind of tired of seeing that at this point. You know, I mean, people call this the uh, the Blumhouse series of movies. I submit that maybe we should call this the Mask Theft series of movies because it seems like everyone's taking the guy's mask, and that kind of needs to stop. You know. So anyway, I, I don't know if that bothered you, but that was something that kind of stuck in my craw this time around. That. You know, Corey is becoming so evil at, at a certain point. You know, he's giving into the dark side so much that now he's more physically powerful than Michael Myers. You know, Which he's, I guess this is, is the, the narrative's only... uh, message there, but it didn't really work for me. Right. Well, and that's me projecting something on. That's just the way I read it. Who's to say what? Well, I think the, I think uh, that is the case, though. I think that is the message they were trying to send. I I could be wrong, you know. It's us interpreting it, but I do think that was the message they were sending. That as he became more consumed with the evil, he actually became more powerful than Michael. Yeah, and and so like again, I don't want to see that every time either. That's a very limited thing for me. It works in this movie. I don't want to. I I don't want to see that again. You know, I mean. Just because you did it once doesn't mean we're going to excuse it, or I'm going to excuse it every time. But taking the mask, I mean, that... And the thing is, every time it happened, it, it works individually in that specific movie. But these things, they do all exist in a continuum with each other. And you're basically left with, um, at least in uh, the first two of these movies, he got his mask stolen from him twice in one night. And then... Four years later, it gets stolen again, and it's like, guys, this is just not. We we really need to stop with this. See, in you the know, first so, movie, I thought the use of the mask was far more effective. When when they you know they bring the mask out when he's on the checkerboard and all of that, 
I thought that there was there was some feeling to it and everything. And then it, it's almost like they diminished the mask mm-hmm. by 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 overplaying it after that. Agreed. Um, yeah, I don't disagree with you on that. I I, I do see that. I like I said, I have a real problem with Corey overpowering him. Uh, when when they go to the the doctor's house and they have that mm-hmm. scene, uh, you know, Corey's wearing his scarecrow mask, and he almost seems like a joke to me at that point. Uh, but then you know, then Michael comes in and you know he's more powerful. He does what Michael does to to the nurse, and. For for somehow those tables to get turned just doesn't seem right to me. But then, like I said, even at points in the in the conclusion, you know, Laurie kind of overpowers him. And if you made the story, like you said, something where you know he's, you know he he's diminished and and he's starting to fade, and this is kind of his last attempt at you know what what Michael would consider to be glory. That's a that's a narrative flow I could probably follow, but I don't know that that's what they were doing with it. I just think they, I, I think they kind of wrote themselves into a little bit of a corner, and they knew they had to end up with, you know, Michael being done at the end. And I think they they threw too many other things into the plot. The whole I, I thought the whole Corey plot line was kind of overdone. Yeah, and I'll, you know, one of my favorite movies is um, Batman Returns, and I'm not sure how much about that you remember, but one of the big criticisms that people had of Batman Returns is that, you know, it's got Batman's name in the title, but, you know, the Penguin really is carrying more of the narrative in that movie than is really necessary. You know, I mean, this is supposed to be Batman's movie, and he is in it, but it's like, it's Batman's movie, it's almost like it's the Penguin's story. And I think a similar criticism could be leveled against uh, Halloween Ends, that in a way, that this is kind of like Corey's story. And that story may be entertaining, it could be very engaging, very provocative, very thought-provoking, but that, at the end of the day... It's not Corey Cunningham that's putting butts in seats. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to be a jerk about it, but I, I think it can be agreed. Uh, he's not the marquee character, or shouldn't be, anyway. And um, again, I'm willing to cut this movie a lot of slack because, you know, the last 15 or so minutes, it does present a definitive conclusion to the story. But there are quibbles to be made, and I certainly think that that's one of them. And I'm putting a lot of this down to the fact that there's a there's an alternate extended cut of halloween kills that kind of gives away what the original plan for halloween ends was going to be namely that it's going to pick up halloween ends originally was going to pick up right where halloween kills left off you know you were going to have laurie strode on the warpath now she's gunning for michael all over again she kind of sat things out in halloween kills and then now she's back on the warpath. She wants to avenge her daughter. And at some point, like I said, late in the game, they decided, no, we want Lori to be happy in Halloween Ends. You know, we want her to be a little bit more well-adjusted, to have moved on, uh, to have kind of returned. She's living on the grid once again. And you can't really get that with the way the the what I assume was the original ending of Halloween Kills. And so I think everything that we're seeing in this movie, a lot of the flaws and stuff that you and I are pointing out, I can't prove it, but I think that a lot of it comes down to somebody involved in this process wanting Lori to be in an overall happier and sort of healthier space when Halloween ends starts, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense, and I don't think that you necessarily had to uh, had to, to to leave that off the plan. I think that that plan is fine if you want, but I, I think there should be a progression, and I don't think they allowed. But I think they just said, "Well, you know what? It's four years later, so she's progressed, but you're not getting to see it." Yeah, exactly. I I think I would have rather that this story be. Laurie Strode's story of how she went from being, uh, 
you know, traumatized and off the grid and 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 let herself become obsessed with Michael Myers because she knew he was going to come back. And and this story would be how she learns to overcome that and in the process eliminates Michael. I think that would be a more compelling story than introducing a new character who's overcome by the evil. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I, I certainly ag- uh, agree with that. Now, you mentioned um, uh, Corey's uh, sort of, let's face it, kind of silly scarecrow outfit that he was wearing for uh, his uh, his sort of debut as a uh, as a uh, killer, and. I understand that criticism, I, and I've seen it actually in other places. That was just a big bag of what were you thinking, guys? But you know, I mean, you hear story, and maybe this is getting a little too real world for people, but there are stories of you know actual real life uh, serial killers who will talk about you know their. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this as delicately as I can. Their first night out, if you catch my drift. And how primitive that was and how as sick and twisted as I know this must sound, how they got better at it as time went by. And I got the idea that's kind of what we're seeing with Corey, you know, that this was his first clumsy attempt. And he, you know, the movie ends the way that it ends with Corey uh, uh, dying. But you get the idea that if he had continued, he would have improved. He would have... uh, perfected his methods so to speak you know and um i don't know i at least wanted to you know throw that out there not as a defense even but just maybe to kind of nuance a little bit of uh, of what you were saying mm. yeah no i i i could accept that if i were more enamored with the character of Corey in the first place and and, <laughs> and you know what i couldn't Again, I don't care for the he's overcome with the evil. Um, if he had been somebody who was wrongly accused of being evil because of the death of this little boy, because I think that's presented in a way that was sympathetic to him when you're first seeing that scene. But, uh, you know, I, I think if you had, you know, maybe he could have been the character who in overcoming his own problems that were created by, you know, what went on with that and and the public view of him, you know, he had his own dark cloud over him. And somehow he he helped Laurie and Allison to to the light. And you had they happily live, they live happily ever after. And, you know, yeah, I know it's, it's the happily ever after thing is a little corny, but... I think we've I think we've earned that through three movies or four movies if you count the first Halloween. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that would have been okay, and I, I think I would have found that more satisfying. And obviously, you would have to have that final showdown with Michael, which I think I would have been making an effort to make it just slightly more epic than what we got. It didn't have to be over the top, you know, <laughs> where you know she's she's. In a, in a wrestling match with him, I, I think it would have been better if she outsmarted him, much like she did in Halloween 2018. Okay, and um, you know that's fair. Um, now, one of the questions that I had is um, the romantic coupling of Allison and Corey. You know, each of them they all they both kind of have their own agenda for doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts about that? You know, um, did this improve the Allison character in your estimation? You know, her, you know, trying to have some compassion. And honestly, it looks like genuine romantic interest in Corey. Like, does that improve her character for you or is that negligible? Does it make it worse? Like, you know, how, how did you react to that? I, I think it had the potential to improve her character. I didn't really feel a great deal of chemistry between the two actors, uh, so yes. that that kind of came up a little short for me. But I think if I had felt the chemistry, I would have. Yeah, again, I think, you know, she should be in kind of a dark place following the last two movies. Both her parents were killed. Uh, you know, she she was 
she has to have some PTSD just from what she dealt with with Michael, much like her grandmother does. So, like I said, I, I, I think if you had had some chemistry there, and if that's how he, you know, maybe, just maybe, I'm, and I'm, you know, spitballing this as we're going through it, but maybe he's put upon because people have a negative view of him because of what happened and they don't really know the story. And maybe Laurie and Allison are have a problem with him because they think he was evil. And he shows them that he's not. And somehow that's what helps to bring them into the light. And then the romance builds more and more with him and Allison as that's going on. And and I think, you know, you talked earlier about subverting expectations. I think what I'm talking about is probably a little bit more mainstream and not subverting expectations. But I think, ultimately, I think it would have been more satisfying. Um, yeah. No, no, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I get that. It's just, I kind of like the idea that, See, it's funny. You're you're hard pressed to name a uh, romance in any of these Halloween movies that survives for very long. You know, um, uh, basically you've got uh, uh, Laurie and uh, and uh, Frank Hawkins, and it's implied at the end of the movie that they're gonna you know rekindle things with each other. But otherwise, I mean, you know, I, generally speaking, you know, relationships and you know, romantic entanglements, they typically don't transcend whatever movie they're shown in. And so, speaking of subverting expectations, you know, you actually do raise a good point there that um, love is a redemptive influence on Corey. And then he and Allison having something that, you know, it is real and it is going to last. You know, they do end up together. That really, that would be a pretty clever way of going a, a, a sort of a different direction while at the same time still giving let's face it a happy ending you yeah. know so that's actually a really good point well another I, thing I agree about this you. movie and you know you brought it up is a little bit is uh they had to have better plans for frank hawkins than what we got in this movie he was woefully See, I don't underused think they did. i don't think they did um, in Halloween, I, in Halloween Kills, they they weren't building him up to 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 maybe have something to do with that final showdown, or maybe have Laurie rescue him, or something along those lines. Give him his redemptive arc from when he accidentally killed his partner. You know, I, I, look, I can't prove this, but I've wondered more than once if they wanted that character to be dead. You know, dead, dead, dead in Halloween twenty eighteen. But they just came to like Will Patton as an actor, or maybe they just came to like the Hawkins character. And so they kind of snuck it into Halloween Kills. Yeah, no, he survived. And, you know, we're going to wheel him into the hospital. He's hanging on by a thread, but he's going to make it. You know, like, I, hand on heart, I think that's what happened. And that's why he doesn't really have much of a story beyond Halloween 2018, because he wasn't really designed to have anything beyond Then that, why you know? do the thing at the beginning of Halloween Kills where he, you know, where he has something now to make up? Uh, because that was established in Halloween 2018. I mean, you could you could have cut that character otherwise. You, you could have cut Will Patton out of that movie, and you could you, you could still have exactly the same uh, uh, beginning. It's kind of like don't mess around with the the Mulvaneys, you know. Well, we saw we we first heard that in uh, Halloween Kills, and then we heard it again here and in a very different context. And uh, we heard it again here in Halloween Ends. And um, excuse me, you know I I. I Look again. I can't prove any of this, but I I truly think that Hawkins was meant to or uh, die originally in Halloween 2018. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I don't know that that's wrong. I don't have any reason to believe that's wrong. But if you then have an attachment to the character that you decide, you know what? We want to, you know, we we want to build on him a little bit because we think he's a good actor and we think he's a, a charismatic guy, and he is, or at least I believe he is. Uh, and then, you know, again, you set up that, you know, that scene showing him as a young man, which, which to me cries out for some sort of arc where you give him his redemption. 
uh, you know, for that. Maybe maybe he ends up in a similar situation with Laurie and, and has to take that shot again. And this time, you know, he, he maybe doesn't kill Michael because I don't think he I don't think the story calls for him to get the killing blow in. But maybe he somehow uh, has an opportunity to do that. Or maybe he has an opportunity to do a shot and then foregoes it and instead like grabs a baseball bat and saves her, you know, but but, you know, he doesn't. Perm- you know, again, I don't think you want to have him kill Michael. Uh, so, you know, he, he fights him off or something, but he also, you know, because he had the, uh, the, the situation with killing his partner, you know, this, this, that gives him his moment of redemption. Yeah. I, I, I I think also just, you know, like I said, I think he is a good actor and I think he is a a charismatic, uh, personality. So I think, you know, you, you waste him a little bit that you have him out there as a character and then you, you know, what, what do you use him in the supermarket? You know, it's yeah. like, you know, I think I think you could have made better use for, of him. I would have liked to have been in the writer's room. I feel like this one I had something to offer. Um, yeah, and, and speaking of writers, this one had uh, more writers than um, either of the uh, previous two. There are four credited writers um, for this script, uh, whereas previously uh, there were uh, Dave, uh, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride co-wrote the previous scripts. This time they have uh, two people joining them. Yeah. And Paul Bradley uh, again, and Chris Bernier. And I'm not familiar with them, so I don't know. Uh, you know, sometimes sometimes people get their names on the script just because they gave one idea, and then you know that that's enough to to force uh, for legal reasons for them to be listed as a writer so i i have no idea what to what extent you know who contributed what into this but i do feel like they put themselves uh you know in a situation where they were like okay well how are we going to fill this movie and i'm not sure they made the right choices yeah and and i can see that but the uh first 40 minutes of the movie it's all very character focused well, you don't get and, Michael at all for the first 40 minutes. Exactly that, yeah. And the, I guess, you know, the, that's kind of a novelty in these movies that, you know, typically characters are developed well enough that you can kind of uh, get the flavor of things. You know, you understand generally who they are. Whereas, I mean, for however little chemistry that, Allison and Corey might have had with each other. Nevertheless, a considerable amount of screen time is is devoted to their rela- uh, to their relationship with each other, and it just seems like a very screenwritery sort of thing to do, where somebody really wanted to take their time with that and really develop it and and give it some sort of credibility. Now, as you say, I do think it's lacking a little bit of credibility on the screen. I don't think it's lacking credibility on the page. You know, on the page, you know, the things that they're doing together, they do make sort of narrative and character sense. I think that where the wheels fall off the wagon a little bit is um, it's not that either of them are, are, are bad actors. You know, Andy Matichek and Rohan Campbell, I don't think either of them are bad actors. They just don't seem to play very well off of each other. And I get the idea that Rohan Campbell was cast as Corey Cunningham sort of in isolation from Andy Matichek. Like, I, I get the idea they did not screen test uh, him with her because I cannot believe that there's a that there's a a, a, a a casting agent in Hollywood that would see those two work together and think that, hey, I found gold, you know? Yeah, yeah I, I didn't feel the chemistry between them at all, and I think they would have been better off – you know, you already knew you had Andy Matichek in the movie, so I would have had her uh, there for the screen test for whoever you know you were considering casting for the role of Corey. And and again, if I was doing this, the role of Corey would have been very different than what it was. But you know, <laughs> but I wasn't doing it. Uh, well, and, did, but you know who he did play really well with, I thought, um, was Jamie Lee Curtis. You know, they have that one really important scene with each other in um, the babysitting house. Where they're just both of them are just laying their cards on the table, and I get the idea that's why Rohan Campbell wasn't, uh, that, or at least that's one of the main reasons why he kept the, uh, his job, is because you know whatever he may have been lacking with Andy Matichek, he it's like he made up for it with Jamie Lee Curtis, 
that one pivotal scene that they have together where um, they're basically threatening one another. And again, I can't speak for you, but I love that scene, you know, because it starts off like Lori thinks that she's got the upper hand. She finds out real quick. Um, no, I'm maybe in over my head here a little bit. Like, did you like that scene? Or, or yeah, what? I, I liked, and, and uh, you know, to give credit because so far I've been giving a lot of blame. Um, <laughs> I liked their very first scene together at the gas station. Also, the way it was almost like she found a kindred spirit, and and they seemed to to click a little bit uh, to the point where she's sending him to her granddaughter's medical office because she wants her to meet him uh and then that scene to totally kind of do a 180 on that relationship uh and and like you said you know to 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 start off where she's you know she's got the absolute upper hand and then to uh to drop it down you know that oh maybe you don't have the upper hand you think you have uh yeah i liked that i thought that was well done now, there, there was a, at least one line that got cut out of that scene. It's in the final trailer that came out like a week or two ago. There was a line uh, that um, Corey gives to Lori where he basically threatens her. Everything else he says, it's like it's, an, it's more like of an implicit threat. This is more the explicit threat where he says, Michael is coming. You know, he's coming for you. And... For whatever, maybe that I don't know. Maybe when they were in the editing room, they decided, you know, that line gives a little too much away. Now Lori has no excuse to not go on the offensive against him. I mean, I don't know. There could be any number of considerations, but I do kind of regret the fact that that line got cut because he delivers it with it's like equal parts certainty and malice, you know. And it's like in that moment, this kid really is dangerous. And um, and again, I mean, look, stuff gets cut out of movies for whatever reason it gets cut out. And ultimately, all we can really do is just evaluate what we've been given. But that line, I thought that was gold. I don't know if you even saw that trailer, but uh, that line was gold. No, I had not, actually. Yeah, it's sometimes sometimes they. Uh, yeah, I don't know what they think sometimes with, with trailers and compare, you know, they were sometimes they show things that it's like oh yeah i can't wait to see that in the movie and then you find out it's not in the movie yeah so were there any any acting performances that you thought rose above the material um at this point not really you know um most of most of the uh the main cast we've seen them already and they they did more or less, you know, what was expected of them. I mean, the real newcomer here was uh, Rohan Campbell. And, you know, otherwise, you know, I almost got the idea that it's not that Andy Matichek, you know, doesn't care about this character or this movie or anything. But I just I get the idea that she's kind of not in a negative way, not in a, this is so beneath me kind of way. But I think she was ready in a in a positive way. I think she was ready to move on from uh, Allison. And I get the idea Jamie Lee Curtis almost certainly was. Mm. And so as a result, you know, the I guess the real standout performance for me, oddly enough, was uh, James Jude Courtney as Michael Myers, where in the span of just a few seconds, he goes from kind of a beaten down shadow of his former, you know, so-called glory he goes from that to when when he's killing um, Officer Mulvaney, you can see the strength is coming back into him, the uh, the power, the evil, you know, whatever you want to, however you want to quantify that, you can see his body physically returning to something that's more rec- recognizably Michael Myers, and to think that he carries all of that off just with body language and posture and and all that stuff, you can't even see his face. But he's still conveying a lot with when you think about it, very little. Mm-hmm. And and again, I mean, I'm not trying to beat this point to death. If people don't like the idea of seeing kind of weakened and diminished Michael Myers, look, that's totally fine. I totally understand, and that's completely fair. I'm just saying that you know, it, it, just evaluating that performance on its own merits in that moment, I thought that was some incredible acting. 
no, I, I hadn't really thought of it in that perspective, but I agree with you. Let me ask you this. When, uh, when Corey does his pretend, uh, you know, you killed me moment, and then Allison walks in and buys it, and then she gets in the car and she's leaving. I didn't really feel they gave me a satisfactory satisfactory reason to understand why she turned around and came back and all of a sudden was on, you know, Team Laurie again. Um, and, oh, okay, I'm going to be honest. You're kind of throwing me a little bit of a curveball here. I'm trying to remember this, the ordering of the scenes. I thought that what happened was right as... Corey and Lori are having their their showdown. Allison rolls up. She completely misinterprets the uh, the scene in front of her. She gets back in her car. She leaves. She gets the call from Hawkins saying that somebody has reported a suicide at your grandmother's house, and that's when she comes. She turns around and comes back. Is that the order of it, or is it a different? No, way? I think you're. I think you got it right there. Okay. But I, well, I, I I may very well because I mean I've heard other people ask that exact same question and things that look I, I'm going to have to apologize to you and the listeners. I actually intended to rewatch that. I, I wasn't anticipating that question. I just or that you would ask me that question. It's just I've heard other people ask, and so I actually intended to rewatch that before we started recording. So apologies to everybody. <laughs> I I could have gotten that completely wrong. It could be that Hawkins called. Allison, she goes to the house, she misunderstands what she sees, she leaves, and then for re- like like what you suggested, some strange, mysterious reason, she decides to come back. I just, I, I truly don't remember. Fair enough. Fair but enough. It, but if it, it is what you to, say... You that, to back into a corner. <laughs> well, but if it is what you say, um, and it, by the way, it may very well be, I really don't have a good uh, defense for that. I mean, I can justify some other things in this movie, but that Assuming that you you got it right, hey, I got nothing. You're, uh, you know, you win the point on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Not trying to win any points, but I'll take it. Um, let me, uh, let me. Now, what did you think about um, the uh, definitive categorical destruction of Michael Myers at the end of this movie? Like, um, what were your what was your initial reaction to that when you saw it? My initial reaction was that I was happy that they were giving us a full conclusion. Right. You know, I, I also thought, well, you know, there, there, are, there are laws, even, even with mass murderers, there are laws that you're not just allowed to just kill them and destroy the body and walk away. So I wonder how that played out. Like, I started thinking, you know, what, what, would, what happened next? You know, before... Uh, Things settled down and she was able to go home. You know, did the police just say, eh, forget this one? But, you know, but I still kind of thought it was a good thing to, you know, to give a, a an absolute conclusion. And and I don't think you could have much more of a conclusion than you did with, you know, him being put into the shredder. Yeah, no, you're, uh, you're not coming back from that one. I don't think Wolverine can come back from that one, so. <laughs> I think there was one story where they went, you know, they went too far that they had, like, that he, his, his body was, like, destroyed in some sort of explosion or something, and he was down to, like, one molecule, and that slowly rebuilt itself into him. Uh, I, I, I never read it, but I, I, I know I heard something about a story like that. Uh, oh. which, you know, that's just dumb. But anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, just taking note of, of this, you know, that, you know, I expected to be doing the review with you. You know, we've been planning this for a while. Uh, so I was listening to the score a little bit and there was, you know, there was the music that they added in the, you know, the soundtrack and Scott, Scott gets mad at me cause I usually use score and, and soundtrack interchangeably, uh, even though they are two <laughs> different things. Uh, but yes. You know, there, there was this, the music and the soundtrack, you know, none of that really grabbed me too much, but it also didn't bother me. The score itself, quite frankly, felt a little pedestrian to me. It felt TV movie-ish, uh, with the exception of, you know, when they would make use of John Carpenter's Halloween theme. Any thoughts? Um, honestly, uh, I mean this in the nicest way possible. Um, I'm very happy 
that we've had a, a consistent uh, a, a team of composers, musicians, what, you know, how, whatever you want to call them. We had a consistent team through all three of these movies. I'm very happy about that. But for me, and only for me, the, high, the musical high point of these movies is Halloween 2018. And after that, it's just, it, 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 as you say, it becomes a little bit more pedestrian every time out. And by the time that you get to Halloween ends, um, in keeping with the uh, season of the witch sort of influence, um, there there is a little bit more reliance on, uh, on uh, synthesizers as opposed to the guitar um, in uh the electric guitar in Halloween 2018 score. This time around, you got you got a lot more uh, synths and whatnot, and um, it, it there. I mean, there there are a couple of memorable moments, but I mean, in the main, it's just it, it it's there. It doesn't harm anything, but at the same time, it doesn't it doesn't do a whole lot to really boost anything either. Whereas. I watch Halloween 2018 even now, and that movie is very much amplified by the score. I mean, John Carpenter had had all those years to um, come up with new ideas and refine his methods, and then you had two other influences that were kind of guiding and shaping the process too. And it, it there is a, a distinct lack of, or rather, there is a distinct drop off in uh, in quality as as you go along. And so I like all of the scores. I think they're all good, but Halloween 2018 is clearly the champ. Obviously the champ. Yeah, I, in my opinion, I, I, uh, I think I agree with that. Uh, I didn't really compare them much, but I do uh, recall being more, a little more enamored with that one. Certainly, not even a little more. Uh, this is the one that that stood out to me as being kind of at the lower end. Uh, you know, so I'm seeing the reviews that have come out on this and. It's one of these ones where now I think this movie is retroactively making people give bad reviews to 2018 and, and, and Halloween Kills. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't like to do that, although, if you'll recall, as we finished off Halloween Kills, I did say uh, that to some extent it was incomplete and I was going to wait to see how they stick the landing. Uh, all that said, you know, where does this fall for you? All right. Um just to kind of refresh my memory, um, to say that something is Jaws, this is an undeniable, undisputed cinematic classic, and it, it belongs on everybody's list. Jaws 2 is to say that it's good, um, you, know, you, you know, it's maybe not great, but it, it, it's extremely good, extremely entertaining, definitely worth watching. Jaws 3, if you see it, eh, you know, that's fine. If you, if you don't ever see it, eh, just as well. Jaws 4 is just crap on a stick without the stick. That's the scale, right? <laughs> uh, I do like your definitions. The only thing I would add to it is on the Jaws 2 level, yeah, it's still a movie that you could do, you know, multiple viewings of and enjoy. You know, it's not it's uh -huh. not one that you just do once and it's like, okay, I saw that, goodbye. All right. Well, um, in this case, I'll say that uh, Halloween Ends is Jaws 2, but just barely. Just barely. It's uh, it's really that those last 15 minutes that put it o o over top for me. Otherwise, this would have been easily Jaws 3. Um, but the way that things worked out with it, um, I'm not going to... I can't... Look, Paul, we've known each other for a long time. I can't lie to you. I, I, I can't look you in the eye, so to speak, and say, oh, this movie's a classic. They stuck the landing. They gave me exactly what I wanted. They didn't. But I can appreciate what we were given, and um, like I say, those last 15 minutes, they do a lot to make up for what came before, at least for me, at least for right now. I reserve the right to change my mind in the future, but I would say this is barely Jaws 2, and it could have been Jaws 3 if a few things hadn't broken the right way. You know. So uh, anyway, that's where I am with it. How about you? Uh, I'm a little lower than you. Uh there was, <laughs> there, was, there was a point where I was considering Jaws 4, frankly. Uh, and I think what what brings it just the slightest bit above Jaws 4, and it brings me into it, you know, just gets me to the Jaws 3 level, is the fact that I did 
enjoyed 2018 a lot. And I enjoyed Halloween Kills to an extent. And I could see myself viewing this as a trilogy and watching it as a trilogy somewhere down the line. And still watching this as part of it. So, like, I don't think this is so bad that it's like, oh my god, I'm never going to get that whatever it is, hour and 45 minutes back again, and God forbid I ever see it again. That would put it into the Jaws 4 range. Uh, so I'm going to say it somehow crawls to me into the Jaws 3 range, uh, and, and that it's, you know, it, it, it'll get that, but it's still not what I would call a good movie, and it's not what I would call a satisfying ending to the trilogy. Uh, my expectations were for better. Okay. Well, I mean that's fair enough. Then I've got, I've got two follow up questions for you. Um, uh, number one, um, was it worth it? You know, going back to the well, letting the genie out of the bottle, and making these three movies. Ultimately, in your opinion, was it worth it, or should they have just left well enough alone? No, I think it was worth it. I, I I'm going to have to say that because I, I again I really enjoyed 2018 a lot. And if order, in order for me to get 2018, I needed to have kills and ends uh, to, to, you know, to wrap up the story. I'm kind of okay with that. On the other hand, quite frankly, I could watch 2018 as a standalone movie and just kind of let my uh, headcanon believe that he burns to death in the house. Okay. Well, that's for, and some people, are, by the way, treat it exactly that way. That's another one of the uh, ambiguous endings I probably should have mentioned. If you want it to be the end, it can be. Um, as to the future, you sort of touched on this before, but um, the title, Halloween Ends, is it's not completely rhetorical because the story that was being told up to this point does end here. But let's be realistic. There, there will be more Halloween films in the future. So what... If anything, uh, well, number one, is that a good thing in your book? And I guess number two, um, if, as, assuming you do want to see more Halloween movies, like what would what would you like to see? Well, I, I think you know, I mean, Blumhouse has already they've already said that, that you know they're not going to be doing this anymore. That this is this is it, the own the uh, rights are reverting back to uh, Malik, Malik Akkad, uh, and that. You know he he'll have the rights to uh, to whatever comes next. I think after this less than well received ending, uh, they're gonna have to let this sit for a while. I don't think you're gonna see any any sequels. You know in the next say five years, uh, I think you're gonna have to wait until somehow the excitement for the character of Michael Myers revives and. Probably your best bet is to just reboot from the start again, to try and rather than try and play it into this. Unless they just go with the, you know, Michael Myers is a character that exists. We're not going to try and worry about continuity and how this one fits into it. He just still exists, and we're going from there. But I, I, I don't think right. I don't think that you know a classic horror character which he has become in the you know the last 40 years uh just goes away the same way frankenstein doesn't go away the same way dracula doesn't go away the same way the wolfman doesn't go away they may lie on a shelf for years and years but eventually they always come back all right okay and that's you know that's fair do you have any any um, thoughts as to where you would go with the franchise well i mean i'm trying to I've been trying to wrap my mind sort of around that. Um, at least in my opinion, the Laurie Strode thing has been well and truly done at this point. And so I guess what I would want to see, like, I, my mind keeps going back to uh, those flashbacks from uh, Halloween Kills, uh, the flashbacks to 1978, and just how well done those were. And that makes me think, you know, what if you do a reboot slash reimagining where, again, you set it in the 70s, but maybe you have a different protagonist? You know, it's 
you, you can kind of just assume the basics when it comes to Michael Myers. You know, guy in a mask, he's going around knifing people. Okay, yeah, 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 let's, let, let's get to the story. It won't be Laurie Strode in the story. Uh, she, she won't be uh, the character in this reboot or reimagining, whatever you want to, reinvention, you know, whatever you want to call it. Something that uh, maybe tries to lean in a little bit more with the, the 70s sort of flashback retro flavor that we got a taste of in Halloween Kills. Um, I don't know how likely that is, but um, if somebody taps me on the shoulder and says, you know, hey, Magnus, like, what do you think? Like, what if we give you like $10 million to make this movie, like, what would you want to do with it? That would be my idea. You know, a, a different protagonist, go a different direction um, from, you know, like Shy Demure, Laurie Strode, mm-hmm. someone uh, maybe of a different flavor who has to be a, he- a, a hero in his or her own right, you know? Mm. Yeah, I, I I would like to see, you know, if we're going to do it, I don't want to just see them doing the same thing over again. I agree with you there. Yeah. All right, so. Otherwise, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to do it for our Halloween trilogy. And uh, thanks for coming on with me for these three. I really appreciate it. And I've had a great time doing it. Uh, and we're not waiting till next Halloween for your next appearance. Oh, we're not. Oh, okay. No, we, we'll we'll um, find so something I need, to do. I, in the I need to think of uh, some other movie uh, series to, or movie for that matter, uh, for us to talk about. We'll find, <laughs> we will definitely find something because we're not going to let this sit for a year. Okay, fair enough. Well, I mean, I, I've got an idea, maybe not a good one, but I'll talk to you about it off mic, and you know, you can just uh, mull it over. Sounds like a great idea to me. But in the meanwhile, everybody else can just kind of let that right. roll around in their minds a little bit, and. Uh, Thanks again, Trentus, for coming on with me, and thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. It's a movie about a final reckoning between Laurie and Michael. Michael Myers, in that mask, represents pure evil. There is no rhyme or reason. What are you going to do when Michael comes back for you? Because he is coming. Everybody's worst nightmare come to life. You came here to kill me, so do it. (laughs) This experience in the movies, that is the beauty of Halloween. In 1978, I had no idea what the worldwide love and affection for Laurie Strode and Michael Myers would be. That is the heart and soul of these Halloween movies. It will be difficult to say goodbye to Laurie Strode. It's her legacy and it's now part of ours. 40 years with this character. Jamie Lee Curtis of Halloween. It feels very special to me.